Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And today we are talking about starting and growing and building an L&D program and department basically from scratch, as well as where to start and the importance of investing in leadership development and how you can go about doing that. My guest today is John Ryle, who has over 20 years of experience in the learning space, mostly in the tech and software space with companies like Apple, Amazon, Dell, VMware, and most recently, Software One. John is based in Ireland, but leading a global team of L&D professionals. He is the Global Director of Learning and Development at Software One, which is a leading cloud software company based out of Zurich, Switzerland, but doing business in 90 countries around the world with thousands of employees. And the company's really been growing over the last few years and hired John into the L&D role just a year and a half ago in 2022, and he quickly moved into the head of L&D role. But prior to arriving there, the company did not really invest at all in learning and development. It didn't really exist. And so John found himself in an amazing and unique opportunity to really get things going with the new head of HR to start investing in people development. And they started with leadership development and creating a very robust leadership development program that has seen some 500 or more managers go through it in the last year or so, really achieved a lot of success and then moved on to career development and helping people really understand how to own their careers. This conversation is going to be great if you are in any kind of position where you're starting, building, or updating your learning and development approach, philosophy, department in your company. And John shares his entire journey from beginning to end, all the things they invested in, some of the mistakes they made, and a lot of the successes they had as well. So if you're in any kind of those situations, I think you're really going to appreciate this. I wanted to remind you before we get started that this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank membership community. We recently added new services and benefits to the community, including a new program where we're connecting people one-on-one with each other to build more quality relationships in addition to attending our group sessions. We want to help facilitate more great one-on-one conversations and relationships among people in the talent development community. We also recently reduced prices, which may be a crazy thing to do in these times when everything seems to be getting more expensive, but I wanted to make the community more approachable and easily for people to join and remain members and get a lot of value from. Uh, You can find all the information, including an opportunity for a free trial by going to our website, which is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com, and just click on community and you can get all the information right there. And we are going to have John joining us as a guest speaker in the community very soon. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with John Ryle about starting and growing an L&D department and program and investing in leadership development for the first time. Enjoy. All right. I am joined now by John Ryle, who is the Global Director of Learning at Software One, a leading global cloud software company based out of Switzerland. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Great to be here. 
Great to have you on. And while the company is based out of Switzerland, John, you are in Cork, Ireland. Is that right? I am. I'm in the sunny southwest. Not very sunny today, but yeah, I'm in the southwest of Ireland in a place called Skull, actually, near Cork. Skull, near Cork. Okay. Uh, you and I connected on LinkedIn. It was interesting, you know, as I moved from the U.S., over to uh, Barcelona just a couple months ago, I thought I really need to start reaching out and connecting with more people in learning and development and talent development on this side of the pond, as they say, on the European continent. And uh, you're one of the first people I connected with. We had a great conversation and it was great hearing about your journey in building learning and development at Software One. And I'm excited to get into that because I think there's a lot of lessons there for people who are starting L&D departments or are, uh, you know, at L&D uh, professional of one at a company. I've met many people in that sort of situation or they're revamping or making transformations or involved in transformations. There's a lot of great lessons to be learned there. But I know you also uh, have spent time in other technology companies, have a long history in learning and development. So I wonder if we could just start with some of your background and, and how did you get into this space uh, yeah. in the beginning? Yeah, it's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an interesting um, mix of roads I took, I think. I started off many years ago. I won't say how long. As a as a as a, uh, a food scientist, actually, uh, spent a number of really? years doing that. Uh, worked with, with with PepsiCo International for for a number of years, and then moved into consultancy. It was it was just a, a risk. I just decided to change my career. I moved into consultancy um, with a with a company in Dublin, and was spent about a year with them, working with clients, learning the whole consultancy business if you want to call it that and start it was kind of a niche for me I found I found kind of you know a, a niche that I was really enjoying really happy with and decided to take another risk and go out on my own start my own business doing sales training of all things like and I had to kind of learn that craft as I was building the the, the, the company the company of one which was myself yeah right and then over the following probably two three four years moved into leadership development, personal development, you know, employee development, that type of thing. Became a coach, did a diploma in psychotherapy, not not to practice psychotherapy, but to use that in my coaching practice. So I worked for myself for about nine years. And in 2009, I joined one of my clients, which was Apple, Hmm. which was very exciting because it was the economic downturn at the time. So, you know, business was challenging and they came and yeah. said, oh, do you want to join us? We're starting Apple University. You know, we're looking for somebody to kind of lead that in the EMEA space. Um, and I was lucky enough to, 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 to join them. Spent a few years there doing that. Wonderful company, wonderful time, learned a lot. Then moved to Amazon in Luxembourg and started the the European leg of their um, learning and development function, and also some in China um, uh, for probably three years. Moved back to Ireland to join EMC in around 2014, spent, uh, and then of course Dell came in and um, they they merged with EMC. Mm-hmm. So, but I was there for the following kind of um, six years or five years up to 2019. Part of the kind of Dell Technologies family was a company called VMware. So I moved over to VMware in 2019 um, and led the kind of executive development space there and worked with some wonderful team members. And then in 2021, I think, yeah, it was kind of, it was in the middle of the pandemic anyway, you know, and everyone was working for yeah. And Software One came along um, and I had I didn't know Software One, I'll be quite honest. So I started to investigate them a little bit, explore what they were doing. 
and they were growing. They were growing, but they had grown, I guess, very organically, um, but also through a lot of acquisition. So, and they had grown quite quickly from 1,500 people to about eight, 9,000 over a period of about three and a half to four years. So, of course, when you have that kind of growth, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is challenging. I won't say chaotic, but, you know, it's, mm. there's a lot of challenges that exist. Yeah. And they were very transparent with me, to be fair. They say, you know, we've got, we've, we've, we've got all these challenges. We want to kind of, you know, build the leadership space. We want to build the, you know, professional development space. There was a great leader in the L&D um, function at the time. And she was, you know, bringing in some new platforms, but it was all very young. The, you know, L&D was just starting out. So I said, God, that sounds like an interesting challenge. A um, little bit scary as well, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, at this point, I'd spent 20 years in the L&D space. Um, a lot of that time with companies that, that were very well established, L&D functions that were very well established. This was an opportunity to come in and make a mark on something that wasn't well established and was going to be difficult. So made that leap, joined Software One um, in at the start of 2022. Um, so 19, 20 months ago, whatever, whatever that is. I took over the function then at the start of this year. Uh, my predecessor left for, for, for other, other adventures. And I took over the function at the start of this year. And hence where we are today. <laughs> yeah, it gets us to where we are. I'm excited to dig into the work you've done at Software One. But I had a couple of questions. Going back into your background, uh, maybe this question is a little bit more selfish or, you know, Based on my own personal interest, being an entrepreneur, having worked in the corporate space and gone to running a business, that you had that experience. You were running your own business for nine years, and then you said you joined your clients at Apple in 2009. I'm just curious, when you made that move, was that was that more because you felt ready to go join a big company again, or was it unique to that opportunity that yeah. I'm happy running my own business? But if Apple calls one of the most innovative companies in the world, <laughs> you know, to start this university, maybe this is this is something I should not pass up on. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, was I looking to do that? Not really, to be honest. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the independence of being self-employed and, you know, uh, and in control of your own destiny type of thing. But a couple of, uh, you know, things conspired, I suppose, to, to, to lead to that choice. And it was the economic downturn, quite honestly. You know, mm. I was involved in a number of projects. Things were going really well. But almost over a weekend, in probably the autumn of that year, work just started to dry up. You know, yeah. it was a matter of days. It was incredible. And so it, it was it was lucky, I guess, that, you know, one of the clients, you know, was Apple and they obviously enjoyed what I did and, you know, appreciated what I did. So they came knocking. How did I feel when I joined them? It was like coming home. It was amazing. Mm. It was like I found an organization where I was so comfortable, so happy. It suited me, suited my personality. And even though they were clients, Andy, you never know what it's like until you're inside. Mm-hmm. Great company, all the rest of it. But until you're inside, yeah. you kind of see the the real the reality, and they had challenges, and they were challenges that were that were an interesting, you know, um, what's the word? An, an interesting challenge for me to get my arms around, and it was new yeah. for them as well. Apple University, you know, it was led out of uh, out of Cupertino, and ultimately, what they were trying to do, and this is kind of interesting, they were trying to bottle Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. How do you take the philosophy and the thinking and the thought process of Steve Jobs? and cascade that throughout the organization. That was essentially the purpose of Apple University. You know, yeah. it's probably changed today now, but that certainly was where it started. And that was 
I mean, that was an amazing adventure to go on. Yeah, I, I think about you know Apple 2009. This is like the heyday of Steve Jobs, very early iPhone. You know, after Jobs returned, mm-hmm. releases the iPhone and kind of shocks the world. Everyone's using Blackberries until just you know 2007, 2008. And then it comes out with the iPhone and 2009, probably iPhone 3G, right? We're on the second iteration maybe. And they're starting to build up this university. And I was curious because you hear a lot about Steve Jobs as this, uh, you know, marketing genius, but also sort of a command and control kind of leader, Mm. how much emphasis there was on learning and development. Was it just about, hey, we need to create more innovative people like Steve Jobs, or was it about let's invest a lot in developing our people so they can grow in their careers? I think... So it's it's a very unique organization. You know, the structure of it is quite unique. The learning and development that happens there, you couldn't really transfer to another organization. So mm. the purpose of it was, how do we help people to really be successful in the context of Apple? You may have been successful, you know, X other organization, but that doesn't mean you're going to be successful here because the context is so different. The way we operate is so different. The way we think is so different. And that was all driven by Steve's philosophy around, you know, how, how you operate. So it was very much about that, the culture piece and how to be successful in the culture of Apple. The command and control piece, the stories, I mean, you know, I won't deny that they're true. Yeah, a lot <laughs> uh, of stories. A lot of stories, but that wasn't part of what we were trying to convey. It was more about how, do you, how are you successful while being innovative uh, within that context at that time. So, you know, we had a number of problems like managing at Apple or communicating at Apple. And and they were were unique to how you do that at Apple. You couldn't take that content and apply it to a Dell or or an Amazon because it just wouldn't Mm. make sense. It just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned during that time that you still use today in the work you do in learning and development, you know, many years later? Yeah, some of the models actually that we did use, even though they were they were specific there, some of them were generic. Like there's a, the feedback model, which uh, uh, which I, I still use today. It's it's and it's it, it's very similar to um, what Kim Scott actually uses in Radical Candor, and Kim spent some time in in Apple as well as part of Apple University. Mm-hmm. Also, I think from a personal perspective, the courage to try things, the courage to take a risk, the courage to believe in yourself. Was I think mm. so, there were some lessons that actually I, I gained as being part of being part of Apple because that was part of the philosophy as well as you know, give people the space to take a risk and trust people to do the right thing. You know, Steve would always say we hire the best people, so if we if we're hiring the best people, we should give them the space to do what they need to do. We don't hire the best people and then tell them what to do. We hire them so they right. can tell us how to be better, how to improve. Yeah, you know, so yeah. that's that's a philosophy that I've taken with me certainly. That's interesting. So you joined Software One just about a year and a half ago, and you mentioned like quickly growing software company in the cloud space, global, growing fast. But to that point, I remember you telling me before, had not invested very much in learning and development. So you get a chance to join an, an early team in L&D and really get this started. What did that look like? And how did you and your colleague at that time, and especially when you moved into this head of L&D role, assess like what needed to be done and get leadership on board with investing more in in L and D. Yeah, it was it, it was a very clear idea, I think, of what we needed to do, and that was to start with leadership. In fact, because a lot of you know our leaders over the years had grown up within the organization, and it was a much smaller organization, we're now taking on 
much broader scope, much you know, uh, elevated responsibility, I suppose you could say. And we needed to get them to a space where they could operate as real enterprise leaders and not necessarily just functional leaders, but having an enterprise-wide view. So it was quite clear that if we were to grow to the extent that we want to grow, our leaders needed to perform at a different level, to be honest. Now, going back to the point you made, had there been a lot of investment? No, there had been I would say, zero investment in leadership in particular at the time. And we struggled a little bit with the sponsorship from, from a particular leader that was, he, he is no longer here, but we struggled to get that sponsorship, to get that buy-in, to get that support. So my predecessor, even though she was a great leader, didn't always get the support she needed, you know. So because of that struggled a little bit in, in in achieving the results that she would need, wanted to achieve. Nothing to do with her, more to do with the environment. So yeah, it, it seemed like she was in that position. You know, they're hiring someone in L and D, but then not really giving the resources or the support to be able to go do that job. So not even necessarily her fault. Just the support wasn't there until later on. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, uh, you could say not. She wasn't set up for success. You know. Hmm. Um, so when you're working in that environment, it's difficult. So she decided to move on. You know, which then. I guess, gave me or brought the opportunity to me to, to take on the role, which I was nervous about, <laughs> I'll be honest, because mm-hmm. I knew the environment. But around the same time, and this was really, I guess, part of the solution, we got a new CHRO who came from a corporate background, understood the value of, of learning, understood the challenges as well that we were facing. So it was a very fortuitous kind of coming together of, of two events. You know, me, I was taking on the role and we were, we had a new CHRO who understood um, and was willing to support. So, and gave me, I guess, the the space to do, to make decisions and to, and to take action on those decisions. And my first decision was to create what I called a leading at Software One program. It's almost like stealing one of the Apple terms of managing at, so- at Apple. This was leading at Software One. Mm. And the purpose of that was to create a baseline for all of our leaders globally. And at the time, we had about 1,200 leaders, slightly more. Everything from you know the, the board right down to front, front, frontline leaders. But in each of the regions, and we're, we're in every part of the world, each of the regions had looked at leadership you know, in different ways, it meant slightly different things, depending. And my viewpoint was we can't, if we're going to be a global organization, we have to have one philosophy around leadership, one approach to leadership, one set of competencies, you know, one, one approach. So that was that's what this program was about, was to introduce those competencies, what we mean by leadership, and also to double down on the value of leadership brand and help people to start to build that brand in a consistent way across the globe. And I guess, you know, the, the, the challenge was, how do we go about this? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've a philosophy, Andy, rightly or wrongly, that, you know, seek forgiveness. You know, don't necessarily ask for permission. So my viewpoint was to create what I believe to be, you know, a, a, a robust program in conjunction with the team, share it with a couple of, uh, of leaders, but then start to roll it out. Was it perfect? No. But, we, but it was important to do something and to start the process, to start the ball rolling, to start the momentum within the business. And, the, and, we, and we started to do it in, in person as well. That was key. Up to that point, because of the pandemic and everyone had switched to you know, virtual uh, or, or, or remote learning, there was, a, there was a level of jadedness within the business around kind of getting onto a screen, listening to somebody talking about some skill. 
and then mm-hmm. email at the same time and not really paying attention. I decided we're going to do this in person and had the discussion with my with my boss, CHRO, and said, this is what makes sense. And she said, absolutely, go for it. You know, we'll figure out the budget, but this is too important. So we started mm. to roll out one-day workshops, you know, mostly in EMEA at the time, because that's kind of where we were starting. And then we wrote, then we did some stuff in NORAM in North America. Then we started to do some stuff in LATAM. But the more we started to do it, people started to really share their stories with us, you know, because we were in person in a room. There was there was the energy in the room, the dynamic in the room to help people start to open up the challenges that they felt they were they had as leaders. And that knowledge that we were gathering helped us to really start to improve the program going forward as well and started to improve the discussions and help us to bring in examples from other leaders across the globe that we could share with the leaders that were there in the room with us at the time. So that, that was really the start of uh, of changing L&D with, within Software One. And then we started to look at building out a professional development space kind of uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the coattails of the leadership space because now we were starting to really have people come to us and say, you know, I really loved what we, what we did in the, in, the, in the workshop. Can we get more of that? Which was the problem I wanted to have. I wanted to mm-hmm. have people come to us demanding more. Even maybe we can't deliver on today, but now we've got the demand. And once you've got the demand, you can make the argument for enhanced budget, you know, more resource, whatever it might be. So we started to build out the professional development space and we brought, in the first quarter, we brought, I think, 500 people through understanding how to give feedback as simple hmm. as that you know so in, in some ways that can tell you maybe the the, the level of um, of effort that hadn't been put into LD in the past if we were getting 500 people to jump on a workshop around yeah. feedback for example right so then you know with that momentum we started we we, we, we designed a program called the experience leader program which was for a particular cohort of leaders in the in, in the middle of our Leadership, total leadership family, and we worked with an external vendor there. Um, who, who, who? So I'm just hold there. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the name of the vendor. <laughs> Take your time. What the hell are they called? <laughs> what they do? Exec online. Exec online. Okay. So, so yeah. So we started working with an external vendor called Exec Online. Now, the beauty of those guys is that they've got partnerships or relationships with twelve of the top business schools globally. So that allowed us to bring in content and lectures, virtual lectures, from those business schools that the that these leaders that were going through this experience could get involved with. And also there was assignments included with those lectures that that the leaders would apply to their jobs kind of, you know, in between the various lectures that they would go to. And this this was running over four months. And again, this was unique to to these leaders because they'd never experienced anything before. So that, again, was enhancing their thought process around the value of learning, the value of of engaging with with L&D. So that has driven more demand. So now, so, so, so now we're, 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 you know, we're saying, okay, well, what else can we do? We're obviously continuing over quarter two as well in quarter three to build more of the profession development space around how it, uh, one of the topics. And, you know, it's, it's the same as what you have on the, on your wall there. It was called owning your career. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that really generated a lot of enthusiasm with the, with our individual contributors, particularly, but not only those. And then 
we so then in Q3 we moved into uh, more content around um, it was around radical candor actually that model and, and introducing that to the organisation and right now we're, we're very much involved in rolling out workshops around growth mindset because that's obviously foundational to having a learning culture having trying to establish the notion of growth mindset and right now and so during those months as well I had to obviously build a team and bring in people that were better than me. Quite honestly, you know that had that had that had skills different to me. I'm very mm-hmm. big picture, Andy. I don't do detail well. I'll be quite yeah. honest. I need to same. Bring, I need to bring in people that did detail well. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. It's critical, you know, because you can paint the big picture. You can paint the big mm-hmm. thing. You can have the big vision. But how do we get there? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, someone's got to implement it. You need the specifics. So brought in some amazing people um, and then start to say, okay, well, now how are we going to focus these folks? So one of the individuals works on leadership development, particularly specifically. One of them works specifically on professional development. Then we started to build out a, a learning technology team, brought in a platform. We brought in the Deshebo platform as our, as, as our learning portal. It's an LX uh, launched that in May to try and create personalized learning for people so that when people go onto the platform, they get a personalized uh, page specific to their to what they do and maybe their function. So if you're in sales, you get a page that is going to feed you sales content. Or if you're in you know X other uh, function, you'll get content specific to that, to, to, to your role there. We're still building the functionality of that out. It's, it's quite new. We launched it in May. And right now we've got about 5,000 um, monthly users, which is great, out of a company of kind of just over 9,000 at the moment. Mm. Um, and obviously we want, we want to ramp that in 24 as well. But again, it's about constant communication around that platform, communication around our, our, our programs. And I think that's probably the big lesson this year. And to me, this year was a transition year, going from kind of very little to something. Mm. building the momentum but the real lesson for i think for this year is communication how do we communicate around what we do how do we communicate that value and talk about value but use the language of the business as we're communicating and i think you know one of the traps that a lot of you know learning functions or lnd functions fall into is using the language of learning as opposed to the language of business and i think that's a mistake because the business do they care about the language of learning so much? Probably not. We we care about it. Mm. That's that's yeah. our, that's our gig. But you know, not not the business. They care about numbers. They care about bottom line. They care about you know success in that space. So we had to maybe switch our mindset a little bit around how we communicate, and we and we do a lot of work on that. We're still doing a lot of work around that. Um, so so right now, as we move into twenty twenty four. We're looking. At, we're still doubling down on the leadership space, but we've just, but, 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 but we've built out a kind of a framework of self leadership, team leadership, business leadership, and enterprise leadership, and we're building programs around each of those to relaunch or to launch in 2024. Relaunch some because we also built a new leader program this year, which was intended for those kind of early in career leaders to get the basics right. Because I think if you can help your early in career leaders. To be comfortable in what they do and be successful in what they do, you're starting to build your pipeline, you know, going forward. Um, so then you're feeding into your business leaders, you're feeding into your enterprise leaders. If you don't get it right at the start, you struggle later on with the, you know, uh, with, with, with your leaders. So that's a big part for us right now for the last quarter of the year because we do less in the last quarter 
than we do the rest of the year because it's coming to close the year. You know, the mm-hmm. business is on closing the year strong. Do they want to talk to us? Not as much as we would like them to talk to us, but that's okay. You know, business and, and our customers come first. Um, so we got to do what's right for them. So this is very much a development time for us. So we're looking at a lot of things around professional development as well. So in 2024, it's not just about delivering quarterly workshops. It's about building the whole ecosystem around professional development, building out book clubs, mm. out communities, building out podcasting that will all speak to the various skills capabilities that we want to double down on in 2024. Um, and then and then the same, of course, with the with the leadership space, you know, building out that ecosystem in 2024 much more broadly with a lot of solid, solid offerings. So then, of course, I had to look at the structure of the team, you know, because now we have to adjust a little bit. So the way we're now structuring is we're going to have our, our regions vertical and someone will lead those regions. And then we're going to have portfolios crossing those regions. So you're going to have the leadership portfolio led by somebody who focuses just on the leadership space. We're going to have the professional development portfolio cutting across horizontally across the verticals with somebody focusing just on that space. We're going to have the learning learning technologies and instructional design portfolio, again, cutting across the, 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 the verticals, the regions. And then the last, and this is almost like a foundational one, is we've got the learning operations portfolio, which is really just right now is only one person, but it will be three people looking at mm. things like dashboards, dashboards, reporting, how we manage uh, the rollout of our programs, so program management, uh, and, and all of those elements, how we manage our vendors, all, all of that type of stuff. Because we've also brought in language training, controlled or managed, controlled the wrong word, <laughs> managed globally. Because obviously, you know, we're in 90 countries uh, worldwide. A lot of our folks don't, you know, English is not their first language, of course. So we're bringing the, we've brought this platform in to help people elevate their capability around, you know, English language training or English language. Uh-huh across the globe. But again, we don't want that to sit in the regions because you end up with different quality and different approaches. We've, so we're, we're, we've created a global a global um, offering in that space, working with, with, with mm. one of our partners, LearnLight, to use their digital platform. So again, the learning operations folks will manage that. Um, yeah. And that's the backbone of, of everything that we do. If we can get the operations right, how we take in requests, how we manage those requests, how we triage those requests and respond to them, how we then report on them and uh, and report back to the business. All that stuff is 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 backbone to you know our success. If we don't have that, we're going to struggle because that's our story to the business, and we need to have that yeah. tied up tightly. I think. Yeah. Been kind of you know that's a whirlwind tour of what's happened this year, but it's been um, it's been an exciting one. <laughs> yeah, you well, you've covered a lot of ground. You've accomplished a lot since coming in there, and, and especially taking on that that director role. And I don't know if I've had anyone walk through a story so eloquently, you know, beginning to end and, and share everything that they're working on and doing. I think it's really helpful for a lot of our listeners who are in different phases of this or running an L&D team or working on an L&D team, trying to implement some of these things yeah. and figuring out what's the right approach of building things in-house, partnering, you know, with outside providers, using, you know, what technology to implement. I want to go, there's many things I want to follow up on, but I want to go back to the beginning and ask, what was your approach to assessing the needs to figure out, okay, where do we start first and what do we, you know, what do we want to develop? And 
how did you go about getting, you mentioned you had a new CHRO, which I imagine changed things in terms of being able to get funding and support, but how did you go about getting leadership on board to say like, yes, we absolutely want to invest in developing our leaders and doing this thing that you recommend? Yeah. So the first part of the question was, how did we figure out you know, what, the, what the need was? Yeah. That was very much through conversation. Very much. It was observation, first of all, because in each of the regions we had, well, actually not all the regions, but at the time we had a regional leader in EMEA, which was, which was myself. We had a regional leader in North America, and then we had no leader in, in Latin America, and we had no leader in, in, in APAC from an L&D perspective. So in North America and in EMEA, we had a lot of conversations with the business. What are the challenges that they're facing? You know, if they had a magic wand, you know, kind of thing, what, what would they change type of conversation? Mm. And we've been doing that during the previous year as well. So that was a lot of data gathering, essentially. So that was kind of where the needs, you know, were, 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 were uncovered. Did we uncover all the needs? Probably not, but we certainly uncovered the, the top maybe 20%. And then observation, you know, just, just looking at what's happening within the business. You know, what are what are employees saying? What are the challenges that they're facing? What are, what are their struggles? And gathering kind of those data points, you know, and putting all that together and say, okay, well, what's, what, what are the obvious answers here? And there were some pretty obvious mm-hmm. answers around, around, around leadership. But also, uh, uh, you know, if you think about exit interviews, for example, you know, what are people saying there? That was very informative, you know, around mm. around career development and what people felt they needed and maybe weren't getting. Yeah, I remember you told me before that the number one thing you're hearing in exit interviews was I didn't feel like, which aligns perfectly with what we're seeing in data from like the McKinsey study, yeah. right? Number one reason people are leaving is lack of perceived career growth, right? Like I didn't feel like there were career growth opportunities for me. That's right. That's right. And, and that was true. And also untrue because it was true in that that was people's perception. Right. Untrue because there was opportunities, but they weren't being communicated. People couldn't right. navigate the system effectively. Leaders weren't yeah. being transparent, you know, and that was true. No fault of their own. There was just busyness was taking over. And the value of, I think, of developing people may have been secondary for folks as opposed to a primary, you know, function of, of, of a leader. So, you know, with all of that knowledge, it was quite clear what we needed to do. And that was really establish a consistent approach to leadership and the competencies around it. And one of those competencies was talent developer, you know, because you need to, if you're going to be a leader, you need to build your people because otherwise you will be leading nobody eventually because people will leave, you know, and particularly today, I think people have an expectation of an organization that they will be developed. They will have career opportunity, you know, and you have to deliver on that. You can't just talk about it. You have to deliver, deliver on it. So, so the needs were, were, you know, were relatively obvious, I think, as we, as we, as we dug into it. And then, you know, I think you, you said, okay, well, how do you get leaders on board? Yeah. It's not easy. You got to find a couple of friendly, friendly leaders, people who are open and start to work with them and start to, you know, to, to start to do work with their teams but I think the big benefit for us was was Julia joining, Julia Braun, our, our CHRO. She came from, you know, an organization, a number of organizations that 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 valued development. And she came, you know, she came in from Tupperware, spent a number of years with them. And she, she came in, she she came directly from another Swiss organization who again, you know, very much valued people development. She started talking about that, about people development. At, at, at the board level, at the executive level. You know, it, it, it was on a lot of agendas. It kept coming up in conversation. And even mm. though, you know, maybe leaders weren't bought into it, they felt they should maybe at least send some of their teams to the, some of these things. You know, Julia's talking about it. You know, maybe we should do some stuff. 
am I really bought in as a leader? Eh, not so sure, but let's see what happens. Mm. And that's then where it became key that what we were doing was quality, was valuable, was useful, spoke the language of the business um, and, and not just, and simple as well, Andy. It needs to be simple, you know, not complicated, not trying mm. to cover every base, but what are the key elements that we, you know, so so that that, that leadership um, workshop leading at, at Software One, there was probably three main things. Understand the vision, understand the competencies and understand your brand as a leader, you know, and then do, and, and then build an action plan based on the understanding of those three areas going forward. And we used to follow up with those leaders then afterwards about, you know, how they were getting on with those things. What were the challenges that they were facing? What else did they need to double down on? And it was a matter of time then. The more you do, the more people see the value and the more people start to buy into the value. So it became almost like, I won't call it a self-fulfilling prophecy because that sounds, you know, more than what it was, but it was, it's kind of like sales. Sales is a numbers game. The more you do, the more you get. It was a bit like that. The more we did, the more people bought into us. So it was a slow start. Right. Then it starts to you're also, like you said, you started with a lot of listening, a lot of interviews, really hearing what people were working on, were challenged with, what would really help the business, collecting data so you can bring that to leadership. Meanwhile, they're hearing it from the CHRO on a regular basis saying, hey, if you want to take the business to the next level, we need to invest in our leaders. Here are the things that we're hearing yeah. that are needed. This is how we would put it together. Yeah. Getting that support, going out and ruling that out, then seeing that it's successful and people are hungry for more of it and more people are signing up for it and then getting more buy-in for that completely makes sense. And I love that you, you started with giving feedback. This is something that a lot of companies and tech companies, software companies um, struggle with a lot of times, right? It's sort of like the people pleasing culture and like, hey, good job. But if we want to really take performance, uh, improve performance, we need to give people the feedback they need to be able to grow and improve. What, what were some other uh, key elements to the leadership development program or things that you really wanted to convey to leaders? You mentioned feedback, you mentioned understanding vision and some of the competencies and values, but are there some other like key things that we needed to develop leaders on? Yeah, I, I think it was understanding their role as uh, in, in accountability, you know, having an owner's mindset quite honestly. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're not passengers in the process. They actually are owners in the process. So, you know, Jeff Bezos talks about, you know, the difference between renters and owners. I think a lot of, of, of folks had maybe a renter mentality that it was somebody else's problem. You know, it was, it's, it's, it's the landlord's problem, or in this case, the company's problem, not, yeah. not, not my problem as, uh, as the leader. That's a big mind shift. You know, and we and we need to help people make that mind shift that, you know, the book stops with them as leaders. So there was a lot of discussion in, in the workshops around that particular, that competency. And that was one of the competencies was accountability. This one of the competencies, you know, how do I become, how do I take ownership? How do I, and how do I demand accountability in my team as well? You know, and how do I follow up on that accountability? Which is where the feedback element came in or the radical candor concept came in. You know, how do I challenge people directly while caring personally? How do I create that openness of conversation? And and, and how does my conversation become, become more specific, not generic, to your point? You know, not kind of high five, good job, because that means nothing to anybody. It's how do I become, you know, more specific in my communication, more direct in my communication, but in a way that's done with care, and caring for the person in front of you. So that was a key part of, uh, of this work and trying to establish that consistently across the globe. Have we been successful in that? To a large degree, yes, but there's work to do. 
no question there's work to do yet. You know, it do, this stuff doesn't change in a year. So we, we'd have to dub, we'd dub, we're doubling down that again in 2024, the owner versus renter mentality, mindset. Yeah. It's constant. You, 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 you have to keep going back to it all the time because it's so yeah. easy for people not to do that. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, one thing obviously I talk a lot about in organizations is operating with an ownership mindset, taking full responsibility and accountability for your actions, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor. You need help from other people, but you've got to take ownership of your situation and, and focus on what you can do that's in your control and how you react to other situations, how you treat other people. And, you know, recognizing that there may be opportunities out there and you can't wait for your manager or someone to bring something to you, you got to figure out what you want and, and go out and get it. That's that's a big part of owning your career. You mentioned that the next interviews you're hearing, you know, people saying, I don't see career opportunities for me. Like you said, it was their perception, but there actually were opportunities. They just weren't being connected. This is something I'm seeing and hearing in lots of organizations. And that's why many companies are sort of shifting to this philosophy of we want our employees to take ownership of their careers. Many of them are inviting me to come speak to, you know, to kind of uh, kick off and and share this mindset of owning your career. And so the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, how you how you framed that to employees and how you communicated that because you mentioned having some workshops or training mm -hmm. development to help people in the realm of career development and, and teaching them to own their careers. Yeah. So the version that so the there's there's two stages to this. So the, the first stage that we have rolled out in Q two of this year was owning your career from from your perspective, from mindset perspective. The second stage will be what the company needs to do to to enable that as well. So at so this year it was very much about you know understanding yourself, understanding your kind of long term view, what matters to you. It wasn't about particular roles or particular paths you can follow, but understanding who you are yourself and what and, and what excites you, what motivates you, what gets you out of bed in the morning, you know, and then thinking about okay, well if that's what matters to me. You know, are there things, are there experiences in software one that I can engage in that feed that need or feed that motivation? And does that, and, and how does that make clear to me what role I want to pursue? It was that that was the type of approach that we took. Get clear yourself first of all what it is. It's not about more money or it's not about a promotion. It's about an experience that feeds your need. Because if you think about you know career development as pursuing a particular role, it may be a disappointment. You may be pursuing that role for the wrong reason. Maybe it's more money. Great, but more money isn't going to feed your, feed your intrinsic needs. You know, it's, it's an extrinsic thing. So I was really trying to understand what are those intrinsic motivators that drive you, you know, and what that matter to you and, under, and being clear about those. Yes, the extrinsic piece, you've got to be clear about that too. But that's probably sometimes yeah. easier to be clear about, you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of obvious, it's in your face. So that was so it was really going back to accountability in many ways, Andy. Be accountable for designing your own future. Be accountable for designing your career. Be accountable for knowing what it is that matters to you and then, you know, taking the steps to pursue that. Now, the phase two of that, of course, is is the organization creating the architecture to allow that to happen? You know, is it being transparent around opportunities? Is it being clear around opportunities? Is it designing the right job descriptions and success you know profiles for those roles that tell you what behaviors are required what skills are required what habits are required and that's work that is ongoing internally right now as well um, so the first part i think we have established which is an individual becoming self-aware about their needs the second part needs some more work about the organization building the architecture 
to enable folks to pursue those needs effectively. Yeah. So start with people taking ownership of their career and, and really accountability for what they want to do, where they want to go and start to map that out and think about it. The other side of that is you need the organization to provide those opportunities. Those opportunities have to be there and exist, right? The way I think about successful career development is it starts with the organization providing tools and pathways. The second pillar is leaders providing the coaching and guidance and you're providing that leadership development. And then the third pillar is employees actually taking ownership of their careers, taking you know full responsibility, being accountable to what they want to do yeah. and so that they can be proactive and take advantage of those opportunities and talk to their, their leader, their manager about it. Yeah, yeah, that's all. And coaching actually is, is a key part of it, and that's something that we, we that we're going to be building a program around in twenty twenty four as well. A leader as coach, not, not mm. that they're not that we want to turn our leaders into coaches, but how do we use the concepts of coaching in our conversations? How do we become more curious as leaders to draw people out to help them understand, you know. The, their, their pathway forward and how they will develop. But the other piece I think around the accountability is, is honesty about what's possible. Mm. Honesty, because, you know, organizations are becoming flatter. You know, as you, as you move up the, the, the chain, there's less opportunity. So what does yeah. career, what does career actually mean for people? Does it mean this, which doesn't exist anymore? Or does it mean experience, yeah. which may be a lateral move, but the scope is different, or it may be a move down to gain more experience so you can move up somewhere else. It's understanding that lattice structure for people, you know, and moving away from the traditional trajectory structure, which I think doesn't really exist yeah. anymore in most organizations. Right. Yeah, so many people are moving, companies are moving towards that, especially with more of a meritocracy, like you said, and there's just more opportunities for growth by trying and doing different things and not being, you know, sort of married or really laser focused on that that, right. that ladder or, yeah, that tra- trajectory, you know, the traditional ladder or growth. There's so many great things in here, John, so many more things we could cover. We've got to wrap things up. I, I love that you're in, you know, you've really gone big into investing in people, starting with leadership, but also giving people education on how to take more ownership of their careers, more accountability, think about what they can do, where they can go, and then providing a lot of those key skills for people to develop in their careers. And I know you probably still have a lot of work to do, but it sounds like you're making a lot of great progress. And I appreciate you sharing a lot of this journey with us no, on the podcast so that others can learn from this and, and figure out how do they, what do they want to take to build more skills in their own organizations? No, happy to share. And as you say, we're start only starting. That's all. We got yeah, a long, right. long way to go. It's just the beginning of the journey. Um, if anybody listening wants to reach out and connect with you, maybe ask more questions about what you're doing, uh, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Probably my email, actually. Um, I, I don't know if we can if we can give that out, but it's it's John. Yeah, sure. It's John at software one dot com. So software one is it's the this all the one word. It's not the all one, one word, right? Yeah, word one. So, so John R Y A L L at software one dot com. I know you're on LinkedIn as well, where you and I first connected. Correct. So people can reach out to you there if they have questions. And I, I know we'll be talking more in the future. This has been fantastic. We still have a bonus Q and A episode to do. But thank you so much again for coming on, John. This has been great. Very welcome. Delighted to be here, Andy. All right, that will do it for my conversation with John Ryle from Software One. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation. He had just so much to share from his journey over the last 18 months or so at Software One. And it sounds like they're just getting started in how they're investing in people development. I love what they did 
with the leadership development program and how they're investing in leaders, bringing people back together in person, as well as doing some virtual development and especially how they're investing in career development, which a lot of organizations are not doing and teaching people how to own their careers. And of course, we've been talking about doing some work together there, but even without my help, I love how they are spreading that philosophy and teaching people and encouraging people to take ownership of their careers so that they can go on and achieve more of what they want and take advantage of the opportunities that are there, which is what you want your people to do, right? You create all these great opportunities, these learning tools and pathways and resources. And a lot of times people are not taking advantage of them because they just don't know what's out there. They're not aware of it. And they're just not really taking the initiative to go do it, to use it, to take advantage of it. And so you want to bring more awareness. You want to teach people to own their careers. You want to shift those mindsets from drifting and being passive to being more assertive and owning their careers. And of course, you want your leaders to support them as well. Uh, If you don't have this already in your organization, feel free to reach out to me. This is what I love doing, partnering with organizations, working with companies to teach and inspire employees to own their careers and leaders to support them. You can find more information on my website, which is andystorch.com. I mentioned earlier that this podcast is also sponsored by the membership community that I run, which is called the Talent Development Think Tank Community. I started this community back in 2020 to help people stay connected and learning on a regular basis in the world of talent development. Many of our members told us that it saved them during the pandemic, and many of them remain members today so they can connect with each other and keep learning. We have a call every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern, where we bring in guest speakers to share lots of great information and knowledge. We had one recently with Brandon Clark from Adobe that was just phenomenal. People were sending me messages about how much they loved it. And of course, that recording lives in our member vault. And as soon as you join, you get instant access to our member vault with our dozens and dozens of recordings and trainings, as well as access to future calls and our new program, Connecting People One-on-One to Build Stronger Relationships. All the information is on our website, tdtt.us. And you can find all the information on our different tiers, including our early in career foundation program, our full access program, and our entrepreneur tier for those running a business in the LD space. And you can get a free trial of two of those tiers to start right away and check it out. And if you're interested in the entrepreneur tier, you can apply and join one of our calls there as well. All right, that will do it for our podcast episode today. I hope you enjoyed it and got value. Stay tuned. Our next episode will be our bonus Q&A round with John Ryle. We'll ask him about his biggest career accomplishments and mistakes. It's another really good one. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, I hope you will go out do great work, and find some gratitude for your work and your life and the things that you have today. Take care.